Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do your feet hurt? Maybe when you get up in the morning? Maybe if you're on them all day? You know, a lot of times people underestimate how important having happy feet is to the health of the rest of your body. And often, something going wrong in the feet can be a sign of troubles elsewhere. Well, I am here in the studio today with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente, and he is a podiatry expert. We're going to be talking today about common problems that occur in the feet, how you can identify them, and most importantly, what can we do about them? So I want to thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Now, the feet. We all know we have feet. You know, the majority of people have feet. And we put a lot of pressure on our feet when we're walking. Is there any correct way to walk? Is there Are there things we're doing when we're walking that potentially could be causing some problems with our feet? Um, I'd say the, the way that typically people walk is usually a heel-to-toe uh, fashion. <clears throat> um, things that you could be doing um, is wearing the wrong footwear. That, Wrong shoes. Yep. Guilty of that in the past. Okay, <laughs> learn some lessons. Um, overuse. Uh, so if you're doing too much, um, too soon, that can cause ailments in the feet as well. Um, so like if you go from, I'm not a walker to, I'm a 10Ker in like a week. Yeah. Probably not a good plan. Probably not the best plan. That add extra stresses onto the structure of your foot. And when you talk about how to not do too much... What about a lot of folks, they do a lot of jobs where they're standing. Could just literally standing on your feet all day be a bit of a problem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the fatigue that can set in throughout your day um, as you're standing, things, the pressures of and load, uh, gravity is always pulling down and pushing on your feet. Um, so that can, that can relate to uh, the structure, the bones of your foot, the soft tissues, edema in your legs too from gravity, pulling all the, the fluid down there all day long from just, just standing. And in some cases, even just sitting all day, that could also affect people and their feet. They're not on their feet, but maybe they're just not getting enough activity. Or maybe when they jump up out of a chair to go do something, their feet kind of start to bother them a bit. Yeah. So if you're just sitting, uh, things are kind of idling um, and, and maybe contracting a little bit even. So then when you're standing back up, those structures have to kind of stretch and kind of get started moving again. So if things are kind of contracting too much and then you stand up, you can get problems after rest. So let's talk about a few of my foot mistakes from the past. That's always good. People can always learn from things that I've done and probably haven't done them correctly. So one of my big pet peeves these days are shoes that don't fit. You know, I often talk with, with people in my office and I'll say to them, you know, you have a blister maybe where they have a burn or they had some other type of a, an injury. And I say, and sometimes that's actually meant to protect you. And then I'll ask them, have you ever bought a pair of shoes that don't fit? And I'll be honest, every woman that I talk to says, oh, yeah, been there, done that, got blisters. And most guys don't do it. They're like, if it didn't fit, why would I buy the pair of shoes? I mean, it's almost like it doesn't make sense to them that they would do that. And yet I remember for years, you know, I have to, quote, break in my shoes. So if you don't have your feet comfortable in a pair of shoes the first time you put them on, they're just not meant for you to wear. That's probably correct. Um, if you're getting breakdown of your skin, um, that's going to um, open you up to infections in your feet. Um, probably not the best pair of shoes to be wearing. Um, so you should, I mean, you should give your shoes a trial period. 
I guess. Um, and if, if they are breaking things down, then they could really set you up for worse things in the future. Okay. Now high heels. High heels. Uh, you I think they look good. <laughs> I know. You know, it, you think it makes you look nice, and it does. But are they good or bad for the feet? So I would say they're bad for the feet. Um, what they're doing, while you're wearing that heel, your calf is actually tightening all day long. Contracted, yeah. Contracting, right? And so that sets you up for when you get out of your heel, um, your actual heel has to get to the ground. And so you if, stretch that Achilles tendon out. That's right. And, and that it may can, not feel so good. Right. Either that or it'll be so tight, you'll be walking on your, your flat foot um, on the ball of your foot. So then you'll get extra pressures on just the ball of your foot because now your heel isn't taking any load from the ground. So that can set up forefoot problems and issues as well. And you can get arthritis of your feet. Absolutely, yeah. Arthritis is um, inflammation of the joint. Itis means inflammation. Arth is joint. And so is it a common thing? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you, you use your feet a lot. Uh, so it tends to break down over time, uh, wear and tear and break down. Um, joint jamming will kind of set you up for an arthritic condition um, uh, down the road. Now, I know we can replace knees. We can replace hips. We can't really replace feet. There's not, there are no surgeries out there to replace foot joints. Ankles, maybe if you need a fusion, but that's not really meant to yeah. treat arthritis of your foot bones. That's right. Yeah, there are some um, some implants that are used. Um, long-term studies don't show that they have long-term um, good success. Um, so we don't usually tend to go to any sort of uh, joint replacement surgeries. A lot of the, the surgeries are um, salvage uh, procedures. Salvage. Or, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> that is not what you want to have done. That's right. So how can you get good shoes? You know, I mean, these days I have a couple of pairs that are super comfortable. I wear them all the time. But it took a while of trial and error to find that. And a lot of times I find that people don't realize, you know, our feet get wider as we get older. So the same narrow shoe you used to wear when you were younger, your foot might not be so narrow now. That's right. So how do you know your actual shoe size? So they used to have something in the shoe store called a Brannock device. You can ask, That old metal thing? Yeah. Right? Okay. So that would show the width of your foot as well as the length of your foot. Because um, the, the length of your foot is not just the size of your foot. The width is very important too. So you could ask the salesperson if they have one of those around. Um, and that would be the best way to check your shoe size. Um, if they don't have that around, then it's um, usually what I have people do is put their thumb in front of their longest toe, whether it's their big toe or their second toe. Um, usually a thumb's width in front of that toe gives them enough room. Um, but you also have to make sure that you're, you're tying the, the top of the shoe tight enough to hold you in it so you're not um, pistoning in the shoe. Bumping Having that. your foot go back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, that's right. What about those people who have sort of a wide toe box and a narrow heel? Because I've got some folks who say to me, I have to get narrow shoes or else my heel wiggles. And yet then they're starting to have all these problems with the toe box or the front part of their foot because they just don't have enough space. That's probably the hardest shoe to find. Um, there is one brand of uh, sneaker type shoe that I know. It's called Ultra. Um, and they do have a wide toe box made for, for patients that might have bunions or, or wider fore, forefoot. Um, but other than that, I don't know a whole lot of other brands that are specializing in that type of shoe. So that is very difficult. Would find. it be easier then to get the wider shoe and get some sort of heel supporter so you could make 
the back of the shoe a little narrower on the inside, but allow your foot to have enough space on the top. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to you don't want to compromise on the front of the foot and squeeze the front of the foot so you have that back tight. So yeah, if you can find fillers or heel cups, something that you can put in the back of the heel to take up that space while also giving your forefoot the the, the room to move, I guess. Uh, that would be the best option. And what are the consequences of bad shoes? So bad shoes can just set you up for structural failure um, uh, over time, wear and tear stuff. Like you mentioned, blisters too, which can create ulcerations, which could then create infections. Um, Yeah, so... Lots of bad stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why you want to get good supportive footwear for different activities. Now, I'm always curious, you know, if you walk around a lot versus if you're a runner versus if you're in some type of construction, there's different types of shoes. So you wouldn't necessarily wear running shoes to walk around a lot or go wear walking shoes to run. What is actually the difference in these different types of shoes? Is it really just making me buy more shoes or (laughs) is there really a structural difference that's supposed to be helpful? Um, I believe, I'm not a shoe manufacturer, but I believe it's more in the amount of cushion and uh, shock absorption that they have in their materials. So a running shoe, you're going to want a lot more shock absorption um, than a walking shoe. I kind of feel like you could probably walk with a running shoe, right, because you're extra supported, extra cushion, but then you probably wouldn't want to run with a walking shoe because you need that extra And the running shoe would have cushion. more cushion. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak <laughs> here in the studio with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente, hearing about all of my prior foot crimes in <laughs> footwear and a variety of other things, and things that I would regret because if you wear wrong shoes, you will pay for it later. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are some of the unique things that you can tell on a foot that leads you to know that there's a problem. Uh, bunions, calluses, corns, and more. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about all things footwear today. You know, I've had my days of buying cheap shoes with no cushion or support and then wondered why my feet didn't feel so good. So these days, fashion has gone out the window, but my feet are happy and comfortable. But it took a while buying all the wrong shoes to find a pair of the right shoes. Now, there are certain things that can happen in your feet that are pretty common. We talked a little bit about skin breakdown, blisters if you buy a wrong pair of shoes. But there are some other structural things that can occur as well. What is a bunion? And do we blame high-heeled shoes? Or is this some other structural problem that happens in the foot that has a different cause, which means I could still get one? So, yeah, so a bunion is actually an uh, angular change in your foot structure. Um, the, the bone behind your big toe is called your first metatarsal. Um, if you have extra load on your forefoot, on the front of your foot, and you are built with a little bit of extra mobility at the next joint back, then that bone will start to swing out as it gets more pressure. 
it has what we call its own independent range of motion. So it'll swing out and kind of swing up at the same time. So what you're looking at as an actual bump on the inside of your foot is actually the head of your bone shifting out, outward. Um, so that, and it's not good. Yeah, so that... <laughs> Um, so what you want to do is actually get back to where the, the problem starts is is the joint, where it's swinging from, right? Um, so you want to support that joint. If you're wearing a high-heeled shoe, the way that that plays into it is your calf becomes tight, like we met, uh, talked about earlier. So that puts all that extra load on the forefoot. So if you were born with that extra um, instability at the, the joint we just talked about, then you will be more likely to develop that bunion over time. Um, and then your joint's not functioning in the correct position anymore. So ideally, you're not wearing heels. Your heel is on the ground more, and your arch is supported. And that could prevent that from happening. Absolutely. But somebody who sees that they're already getting this change in their toe, what could they do? So at that point, you really want to do a lot of stretching, calf stretching. So you go back to the thing that is loading the forefoot is the tightness in your calf muscle. So you have to do a lot of either stretching or rolling. I have people do a lot of foam rolling or rolling, pin rolling on their calf muscle. So that's that's the first step. That's the biggest um, influencer of the bunion deformity. Then you want to go to supporting your arch. So it's getting good supportive shoes. Um, sometimes you even want to wear like a little bit of a heel, like inch, inch and a half, just to slowly work your heel back down to the ground without overloading the forefoot too much. And when you talk about getting arch support, mm-hmm. there are some shoes that have that automatically, but do you generally have to get some type of orthotic? So a lot of times we will recommend an orthotic. Um, it doesn't have to be like a custom-made orthotic to start with. Um, it can just be an over-the-counter one. Um, we have a couple brands that we that I use and um, we like. It's PowerStep um, and Superfeet. We use those a lot. They're firm, but they have a little give to them. Um, so it is going to hold your arch up, but kind of a adapt to your foot over time. So in that case, we actually do have them kind of break them in. So you wear it like an hour the first day, two hours the next day, until your foot's used to it. Um, Because if you haven't worn a firm arch support before, it might feel like too much in your arch too soon. So you just want to kind of get your foot used to it, it used to your foot, and slowly ease into it. Um, But that's usually where we start, and a lot of people, um, that's all they need. I love the names of it. Yeah. Super feet or power step. I mean, I want both of those. You know, I want a powerful step and super feet. That's right. But these would be things, inserts you could put in a standard pair of shoes that could really help you with that arch support and break your way into it so that you have that. Is it true that over time your arch collapses or is that just something that happens because you're wearing the wrong shoes again? Um, yeah, not everybody's arch is going to collapse over time. Um, it it's did, such a maybe collapse is not the best word. It sounds so <laughs> dramatic. It collapsed. Maybe just flatten a little bit. It can flatten a little bit, and a lot of that has to do with another structure in your your foot and ankle called your posterior tibial tendon. So that's the the tendon that courses down the inside of your ankle and is supposed to hold that arch up a little bit. You also have little intrinsic muscles in your arch that help strengthen it as well. Um, and those can be fatigued over time uh, and get weakened over time. So those two two structures weakening over time can cause that collapse or that flattening of the arch. And thus you would want to consider some of those products to really help support your arch. And if you have that condition, you probably don't want to go flat feet very much. It's you know, I mean shoeless. You don't want to go without wearing some kind of support. Yeah, that's correct. Um, another way to, to work about it, too, is do foot strengthening exercises and ankle strengthening exercises, too, to try to get that internal strength back. 
How um, would you exercise your foot so, to make it stronger? Yeah, so the way that I have people do arch strengthening exercises, um, they push their toes pretty much, just put your toes into the ground. Push your toes into the ground and your arch lifts up a little bit. Oh, I'm doing it right now. Okay, I'll go with you on that. Yeah, so you do that's that. That's exercise. That's actually an exercise. Yep. A lot of times I see people stand up paddle boarding. Um, I've done that a few times, and I notice my arch is really feeling it. So that's a really good arch strengthening exercise. Um, so that's good for your foot health, too. Get out there on the board and do some stand-up paddle boarding. Um, I don't think I'd be standing up very much. <laughs> I don't think it's really going to help my foot that much. I would be learning more about how to dive and swim and uh, figure out how do you get back up on that paddle board. But, okay, so for those who do stand up on a stand-up paddle, that could actually also help with their foot strength. Excellent information and certainly something that, you know, you could do at home. Anybody could sit at their desk and could say, I'm going to start exercising and improving my toe strength. Now, there's another thing that often happens, and you mentioned a lot of stretching. And one of the conditions that I know really responds to stretching and kind of has to work its way out through stretching is that wonderful condition, plantar fasciitis. I hate that word. (laughs) Only because I've had that problem. And there really isn't a lot of other therapeutic alternatives you just you have to stretch you have to not go barefoot you have to get a heel cushion and it's not fun why why does that happen so that's again one of those overuse um type of injuries like you call it an injury um but the fascia on the bottom of your foot uh your foot like you're saying could kind of flatten over time and the first structure that's closest to the ground other than your skin is your fascia so that's going to start pulling first it pulls right where it attaches onto your heel bone and that's where all the inflammation builds up. Um, throughout your day, you're, you're slowly building more inflammation. And then at nighttime, um, you're trying to heal all that inflammation that developed. Uh, usually in the morning, you step back down after your feet have been kind of relaxed and contracted, healing in that position. You step back down in the morning and oh, it all yeah. opens back up again. Uh-huh. So that cycle of inflammation starts, starts the day anew. Um, so a lot of the things that we want to do for that... Um, is the stretching to get the length of the, the calf um, greater to take the tension off the heel as well as holding you in that, that stretched position at night. So something that we add is usually a night splint, which holds your foot in like a 90-degree position at the ankle. So you're healing uh, all night long instead of healing in a, a contracted position, you're healing in a stretched position. Yeah, you can feel that stretch when you get out of bed in the morning. You're like, <laughs> oh, Oh, yeah, I remember that trouble. And then all of a sudden, it took like the longest time. And I I woke up and a couple of days in a row, I went, I don't want to tell it, but my heel doesn't hurt. How did that happen? It was great. So cushion shoes and being careful. And like you said, doing all those stretches are really, really important. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking about what are some common things that happen to the feet and how you can sometimes stretch your way out of it. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about my friend the calluses. Do they have to come off? Could they just protect your feet if you like them? Or could they lead to other troubles like corns or some of those other things that are common that people notice sometimes cause foot pain? And it's not so good to keep them. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about all sorts of problems with the feet because often the feet can be a way to tell you about what's going on with the rest of your body. Now, I often think about problems with your feet affect the way you walk, which could affect, you know, your general health, blood pressure, cholesterol, sugar, but it could also affect your knee joint, depending on your foot structure and what you're doing, which could affect your hip joint, which could affect your back. I mean, you know, all of these, that little song you hear when you're a kid, the knee joint connects to the hip joint. Yeah, it's all true. And so if you don't have really good, comfortable ways to walk around, this really can affect the rest of your health. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can. Now, calluses, I like them. I sort of feel like they're extra protection. You know, I like to walk on the beach. I remember I went once for a pedicure, and they're like, you want us to take this off? And I was like, no, I worked hard for that. I want to keep it. But that's not really the best answer. So why do people get calluses, and do they have to be removed? Is that better for your foot health? So a callus is just your um, your skin's way of kind of dealing with pressure. So it knows that there's extra pressure there, so it starts building something thicker and harder. Um, they don't always have to be a problem. I think the the biggest time that they does become a problem is when your foot is insensate or neuropathic. So if you don't have sensation to your feet, then those calluses can continue to build up and it pushes more pressure on the tissues underneath it. And you're not feeling that and it can slowly break down that tissue over time without you knowing. Um, so in those cases, you do want to have... Um, have usually a medical professional um, work with you with removing those calluses um, or it's almost like walking on a rock without knowing it. It's slowly going to break into your skin. Okay, now it sounds horrible and I liked them. (laughs) So if you can feel your feet, then you can keep your callus. Yeah, I don't think they necessarily have to be a problem. If, If you can feel your feet and they're not hurting you, then probably not necessarily a problem. And don't do your own like procedural removal at home on your own. Not, not a, a good, good plan. <laughs> but they do have some callus remover sort of topical treatments that you can put on, put your foot in a sock, put this lotion on under heel underneath the sock, and then it'll help moisturize the skin. So it does that actually break down the calloused skin or just help to keep it softer? Or what does that do? So I think if you look at the active ingredient in those, they might be salicylic acid, almost like the there's wart treatments as well that have salicylic acid. So if you if you use that um, sparingly, it can break down some of that tissue, and then you can pumice or file those areas off. You don't want to use it long-term because as you start to get past the callus, then you could be putting acid on your skin, and you could start breaking down the skin underneath. Now, I've seen some of those products contain urea. Urea is actually a good product. Um, yeah, that, that will work with some mechanical debridement to get all the callusing off, like on the heels. Um, yeah. That can work well. Why does that word sound like pee? I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's part of the that byproduct. Okay, we'll work more <laughs> on that salicylic acid stuff and less on the urea products. Uh, but, you know, if it does help to break down the thickness of the skin and it's medically appropriate, then certainly it is something to look at. So what is a corn and why do I feel like that's also a callus but a funny callus? So a corn is a callus on your toe and that's that's it? The only difference. Yeah. It's a corn. Corn is a callus on your toe. Do they hurt? They can hurt, yeah. So your toes don't have as much um, as thick padding, of a padding okay. yeah, or tissue layers as the bottom of your foot. 
So, and you have a lot of little bones uh, in your toes as well. So the nerves are very close to the bones. And so if you have that hard, thick corn or the callus on your toe, then it's going to be more likely to press on a nerve or a bone. And, and be then it hurts. More uncomfortable and painful. Yeah. So, again, if it's hurting, probably a good idea to, to deal with it. Um, but, again, if it's not hurting, probably not necessarily a problem unless you have like a diagnosis diabetes of, right yeah, you mentioned neuropathy. or some type of reason why you can't feel your feet yeah. so do those over-the-counter corn removers work uh so i think it's similar to that salicylic acid stuff. yeah they have that in there yeah yeah so you have to be careful when using it um use you know precautions um but it will it will kind of soften that material the, the callus and it can scrape off a little bit easier and use a pumice don't use your own razor blade. I wouldn't use any razor blades. Yeah. Just don't do that. Pumice, uh, emery boards, I'll say sometimes too. Oh, interesting. Just like a little bit at a it's time. It's like a little nail file, but you know, it's a toe file. Yeah, yeah, for the all callus. Right. <laughs> I sort of feel like all my bad behavior has now been revealed on air. <laughs> but uh, yes, I remember taking a razor. That was not one of my better plans. Okay. Now, you mentioned a couple of times that if you have certain conditions, if you can't feel your feet, there are certain medical conditions. Diabetes is one of them. Sometimes people get a condition we call peripheral neuropathy. Mm -hmm. So it's in the periphery of their body and their nerves don't work. That's the term peripheral neuropathy. But if you have any sort of a sensory problem, you have to be careful because, you know, and I always use this sort of gross analogy, which I've seen happen, believe it or not. Someone steps on a tack and they don't feel it. And then they come in and you're like, how long have you had that tack in your toe? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's not a tack there. And then it can lead to infection. And, and if the infection goes to the bone and there's bad blood flow, lots of different consequences can happen. So if somebody does have this problem with sensing their feet, what should they do? So um, they should definitely see their primary care physician first, right, um, and uh, get the diagnosis of why. Uh, why Figure that, out why. Okay, yep. <laughs> treat whatever it is if it's treatable. Okay. Yep. Um, and and if there are, if it's a diabetic related thing, um, or if they are getting some callusing or have had issues with infection in their foot or something, they should get referred to um, to, to a you. podiatrist. Yeah, to someone like yourself. <laughs> what do you do differently that would be something that they should not do at home? A, don't use razor blades if you're not a medical professional who's supposed to do that. So no home projects on your toes, people. I've done that. Not good. Yeah. So we um, we can use x-rays as well um, uh, to, to look into the bones to make sure that if there is an opening, there's if there's infection, it's not getting to the bone. Um, so we have um, imaging modalities, right, that people don't have at home. Um, we also can do what's called debridement. So if there is that callus there or, or an open wound, um, we can remove the bad tissue, leaving the good tissue, and work different type of advanced wound healing um, strategies and get plans on how to heal that wound better uh, if, the, if, if it's open um, and treat it medically if there's an infection as well. So make sure there's no infection. Yeah. Treat the wound, mm -hmm. get the wound to close, and reduce the chances of bone infection. That's right, yeah. Because what happens when you get a bone infection? So usually bone infection, there's there's two treatment options that we tell patients. Um, one is long-term IV antibiotics. No um, fun. And not a guarantee to work. Uh, and then the other one is resection of bone, which in the foot often leads to amputation. Remove the toe. No fun. So yeah. two not-so-exciting ways to treat bone infection. That's right. So you either take the bone out or you use duration of intravenous antibiotics. They put a little... IV line, people may be familiar with a peripherally inserted catheter <laughs> pick line, and you take antibiotics for a few weeks. No fun. So basically the message that I'm getting is be nice to your feet. Start now. 
check them, look, check them over every day. Get shoes that fit. Yep. Trim your nails <laughs> if you can. If you can't reach them, get somebody to trim your nails. Yep. And work on that so that overall you can keep your feet healthy and avoid some of these problems that can occur that although we think it only bothers us for a short term, really could have effects long term. That's right. Yeah. Keep your feet happy. Keep your feet happy and definitely see your friendly podiatrist who will help you to figure out the best shoes to wear and also what areas of your feet to focus on cushioning. All right. I have learned a lot and unfortunately admitted a lot today (laughs) with Dr. Kevin Murphy from Kaiser Permanente. Thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can always click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and my engineer today is David Chong. We will see you next week when we talk some more about healthy ways to keep your body feeling great right here on The Body Show. See you then.